Welcome to Recovery with Root, a podcast centered on topics surrounding mental health and addiction. Through our Advanced Recovery Institute, a new entity of the Root Center for Advanced Recovery, we are committed to research and training to elevate clinical care. We hope you find this podcast informative, and most of all, we hope that it helps improve the lives of others. Remember, we're in this together, and recovery is possible. Welcome back to another episode of Recovery with Root. We are so excited today to be joined with Pat Reamer, the newest addition to the Root Center for Advanced Recoveries board. Pat, thank you so much for being here today. Sure. Glad to be here. So you've had a very extensive background, obviously, in the mental health and addiction space. Talk to us a little bit about where you come from and then obviously where you are now. Sure. So I, in 1982, I began my psychiatric nursing career at the Institute of Living. But I will say that I am a nurse by training. And in my first psychiatric experience in nursing school, I immediately knew that's where I wanted to go. And you know, only 10% of nurses go into psychiatry, but I loved it. I've always loved it. I got my master's at the Institute. I was clinical director there for a while. And then I got recruited to run Capital Region Mental Health Center, the local mental health authority in Hartford. So it was kind of my first exposure to public sector work. I'd never really been involved with that. And it was it it was probably one of my favorite jobs. I loved the staff. I loved the services. You know, we had all the typical services, mobile crisis, respite beds, ACT teams, things where people were going out into the community to meet people where they were at. And that's when people started beginning to talk about recovery and really saying, we need a recovery model. We need to meet people where they're at. We need to you know, kind of, frankly, not shove things down people's throats. And I can give you an example. At an earlier job, if a patient asked for a physician change because they didn't like their psychiatrist, it was always considered the patient's problem. They never got a a doctor change. It was something they had to work through. And at the time, I didn't think anything of it. It was, again, early in my career. But now, and I think in retrospect. So ultimately, I became the commissioner of the Department of Mental Health and Addiction Services. The department was well into its recovery policy, holding the people that we contracted with accountable for their work in recovery, and really starting to recognize that recovery is not just for individuals who have substance use issues, but for people who have mental health disorders, that they can, in fact, and do recover. And so that really became a big part of my philosophy kind of going forward. And then I got offered a job at Hartford HealthCare to oversee their behavioral health network, which is the largest network in Connecticut. And I was a little surprised when I got there. The recovery language was not as ingrained, I would say. And I think that that was partially because private nonprofits very much depend on DEMAS funding. So if the department says to a private nonprofit, we really think that you need to have, and I'm making this up, a a person in recovery on your board, they would do it, right? It's not that hard. But I think at at huge hospital corporations, it just wasn't as attended to. So my work there, I really feel for the last six years, was to introduce 
much more. The concept of recovery, we started a recovery leadership academy through a HRSA grant so that we could train people in recovery so they could go get jobs. What do you need to recover? You need a job, a place to live, and maybe treatment, depending on where you're at in your recovery. So, you know, the idea that we were able to start to do some of that, and before I left, had recovery support specialists in every facility and recovery coaches in every emergency department. And not all of those were paid through through grants. Many of them were, but the hospitals where the grants weren't given, we chose to employ recovery coaches anyway. So I obviously believe in this. People get crazed about how much I talk about it, and I understand that, but I think it's such an important part of our system. I believe this will be the answer to the mental health and substance use crisis we're having in staffing, that if we can begin to hire more coaches and support specialists, allowing clinicians to do more of what they need to do and case managers to do what they need to do, then we'll be able to have a Uh, in my opinion, a better workforce, and we won't have our staff feeling like they're constantly overburdened because we have other people that the people we're trying to connect to can connect with and stay connected with. So I think that's really, and in fact, in retirement, I retired two years ago, I do both expert witness work, going in front of when there's a lawsuit, if somebody is being sued, because for example, they wouldn't let you cite something, I can go in and talk about mental health, behavioral health, ADA, all those sorts of things. And I think we're seeing less and less trouble with sightings because of these conversations. And I think the pandemic has created a mental health crisis and a substance abuse crisis again. We know people relapsed, we know people died by suicide, people were more isolated, it really, and we know for our kids, it's just, the impact is enormous. We think 80 to 90% of kids last year had some mental health issue that they had to deal with related to the pandemic and how we were educating, which was nobody's choice. However, clearly impacted school kids. Based on what you just said, you know, in your extensive career, you've seen the world of addiction and mental health change. Obviously, right now we're in the midst of both a mental health and a, you know, opioid epidemic. You could argue both of them at an all-time high. How has that changed since the start of your career till now? (laughs) Unbelievably. When I started again... I'm not that young anymore. When I started in psychiatric nursing, first of all, there was a theory of the schizophrenogenic mother. So it was the mother's fault if you had schizophrenia, which was fascinating. The Institute of Living was a 400-bed locked institution with 400 beds filled every day, long term. So people actually lived on units that were open and had what we called town passes and they could go into town and work and come back. Then there were very, very acute units where people weren't even allowed outside and there's a whole system of tunnels that you could get people from one place to another if you needed to. When managed care came along, you could not keep the beds filled. And so over time, We ended up downsizing 
managed care hit. I actually moved while I was in graduate school to work on the first short-term unit at the hospital where people were staying an average of probably then 20 days, which quickly went down to more like six to 10. And nobody believed somebody with, for example, schizophrenia would really be able to live in the community by themselves. And for me, having worked in that environment, when we started discharging all these patients, I was really worried. Many of them ended up living right down the street in apartments and just came back for their outpatient treatment, and it was fine. So that is when, you know, you start to think maybe we need to shift this paradigm. As much as we all hated managed care, the idea that, well, if you're good enough to go home for the weekend, maybe you don't need to be in the hospital. It was restrictive. I didn't love it. I still think that there's room for change there, but it moved us along from keeping people long-term in institutions, and I think that was critical. I closed Cedar Crest Hospital while I was commissioner. Was it a popular decision? No. People were extremely opposed. However, you know, we really felt like we could provide opportunities through residential settings or very specific group homes for specific patients to get people out into the community. And so we began to do more of that. And so it's changed enormously. I think we probably have twice as many people living in the community. I think we are identifying issues earlier and earlier. And I think that we have done enough research to understand that some of this is genetic, that blaming parents is not helpful. You know, even on the substance abuse side, there was a lot of blame of somehow the parents did something. And I I think that wasn't particularly helpful. And, you know, then we sort of got into that whole enabling language, which I still hear people using. And I actually think through research, we're going to eventually probably throw out the window because people need support systems when they're using and while I understand the concept of sort of just cutting a family member off or you know it I think that in for many many people that challenges their recovery way too soon. You mentioned too that staff has become an issue staffing across the board but we're also seeing an uptick in the amount of patients who do need care Talk about that paradigm in and of itself. I mean, that's a huge barrier for us to overcome. We've talked about it here at the Root Center with how are we going to incentivize staff because we're seeing it across not just our organization, but others as well who are just having trouble. And it is a tough, tough career choice. It is. And I I fear for the hospitals, actually, because I think recruiting nurses for inpatient care, and I'm talking about medicine, all everything is very, very difficult. I think recruiting social workers and psychologists and psychiatrists to private nonprofits is very challenging. And I do think a lot of people burnt out during the pandemic when we were all working seven days a week to make sure that our clients or the individuals got what they needed. And I think that for some of us, myself included, burnout set in in, in a way that made me feel like I wasn't as effective. And so, you know, if I look in retrospect, I don't know if that's true, but I think we saw exodus of social workers, psychologists, psychiatrists, either retiring or the other thing we see in Connecticut is because it's small, 
you could get almost anywhere in two hours, people move from one job to the other, from one organization to the other. And I don't know what they're looking for. Usually they're offered better pay, but then, you know, a couple months later, somebody else is going to offer them better pay. So I don't think it's all about pay, although I think pay is critical, but I think it's a lot about the culture of the organizations and how they treat their employees, how their employees feel, and that's going to get more and more difficult if you're not able to recruit because you're going to be asking your clinical staff to do more. So as I said earlier, I see people in recovery serving as recovery support specialists and recovery coaches and hopefully freeing up clinical staff to do more of what they need to do. Um, And I think that will be one part of the solution. I think the other thing that works, and I think you probably do it here, is um, internships. Can we get social workers in? Can we get nurses in? Can we get them in so they can see what the atmosphere is like and maybe come back for a job after they're done? I think that's another great way to do it. Well, and you clearly have a passion for this industry. And I imagine just from you know that passion perspective that the more staff members that you can have who share that same passion, who are less likely to experience that burnout, that's going to translate better to the patient-provider relationship. Yeah, I mean, I think the reality is, and again, I'm old enough to remember the whole concept of parallel process, where if the staff is having, and I'm exaggerating enormously to make the point, but if the staff is having a bad day, sometimes that their clients have bad days because we, we're human, right? We can't necessarily meet all of our clients' needs every day and we can't be in a good mood every day. And so there's some education, I think, for our the individuals we serve as well, that we're human too. You know, it's one of the reasons I absolutely advocate for people who are in recovery that work in the field to disclose that if they're comfortable. Because I think, number one, imagine the hope if you're homeless and you haven't had a job in two years and you're on an inpatient psychiatric unit or in a detox and there's somebody that walks over to you carrying the keys, big deal, and says, you know, I was here a year ago as a client, but I'm working here now. That's huge for people. And so I think that's going to be a help for the workforce dilemma that we're in. And you have all this experience and now you've come to the board, you know, you're in retirement and you still want to make a difference in this world. Why pick Root? I think Root has a long standing history that I've been aware of uh, for many, many years because actually Capital Region uh, is was very much involved with the Hartford Dispensary in Hartford, for example. Um, And what I've seen over the last several years is a movement towards the recovery model so that we're trying to do more here. We're not just providing methadone. Um, We're doing Suboxone. We're looking at partial hospital programs. We're looking at intensive outpatient programs. I think that different people need different levels of care. When I was just in a board meeting and heard about the... um, sort of new, what's the word I'm looking for, flexibility around take-homes that came through because of the of COVID. I, I think that's enormous. I think having people allowed to take, be allowed to take home methadone um, and go on vacation or, and I know there used to be 
contingencies for that, but it appears that it's much more normalized now. And that, to me, is another way of saying to the people, we need to trust you. We want to work with you. Let's give this a try. And I, I think that's a great idea. So as I've sat in two board meetings now, I've been very excited about the amount of talk about recovery, wanting the staff to be more engaged, wanting the staff to be happier, wanting to make sure that the clients are getting what they need, and really evaluating the services to look at that. So that's the kind of an organization that I would want to be a board member on. So here I am. Here you are, and we're so happy to have you. So to wrap things up, is there anything that you'd like to share with the public about your goals going forward with this organization, what you hope to see, what we might see? I would personally love to see more mental health care. I think my entire career I hear people say, we do co-occurring. And on the mental health side, that means they can deal with some some substances. On the substance abuse side, it tends to mean they can deal with a little anxiety or a little depression. We need true co-occurring disorder treatment for people with bipolar illness. We need it for people with schizophrenia who have a very, very different presentation. And I would love to see that here, and I know there's discussion about going in that direction. Personally, the one goal for my career that I've had, and I'm very disappointed that I retired before I reached it, but I still will continue to bang it as I (laughs) am on boards, which is it's not stigma, it's discrimination. If you say that people are stigmatized, nobody cares. But if you say you're discriminating, that's a very different statement. And, you know, frankly, if I'm in court and somebody has made a statement about the crazy people, I say, well, let's just put the word black in there and read the sentence and see what we think. And it makes the point. So that's my life goal. I don't know if I'll reach it, but I'm going to keep on trying. Well, we are so appreciative that you chose Root, and we know that your background, your knowledge, your passion will certainly help, and uh, we want to be on board with your goal, too. So thank you. That's great. Thank you. Well, we hope you enjoyed this episode of our podcast, Recovery with Root. As always, stay connected with us on social media to learn about when next podcast episodes will drop. You can comment, ask questions, even let us know about future topics that you'd like to see discussed. Until next time, remember, progress is the destination.